The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome to In Tune. We're glad to have you with us today. We have an exciting show. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. And In Tune's a two-hour weekly broadcast which focuses and reflects on issues that impact and connect our community and the greater St. Louis area. We talk about the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. So today we have an interesting show. And the more I read the prep on this, the more I was like, this is Another hidden gem of St. Louis that has yet to be discovered by people and maybe has been a, an often ignored uh, uh, memorial in, in a very distinguished part of our city and a very uh, a, a large focal point of our city. Uh, so we're talking about the Soldiers Memorial, and uh, it's been undergoing a two-year renovation on this 80-year-old landmark. Uh, it's being revitalized. It's set to reopen on November 3rd, 2018, which is a very famous day. And it's uh, this two-year, $30 million renovation. It's a state-of-the-art museum facility. will honor our military service members, our veterans, their families, and it's going to be under the operational leadership of the Missouri Historical Society. So because of that, in studio right now, we have Jim Conrad, who is project manager from Mackie Mitchell Architects. We also have Eric Biggs, who is from Mackey Mitchell Architects. He's the project architect. We have Karen Gehring, who is from the Missouri Historical Society. She's the managing director of administration and operations and has been kind of this, I'm going to say this, spearheading all of the uh, history portion that goes into this particular memorial. So I would like to welcome you all here to Intune this morning. Thank you. So, so Jim, tell us a little bit about... Um, this particular kind of project and how Mackie Mitchell came about getting uh, the responsibility to renovate this facility. And we'll talk about the renovation. And then we're going to bounce back and forth with Karen as some of those things kind of interact. And then we're going to talk with Karen specifically about uh, the artifacts and the things themselves. And we'll, we'll mix a lot of that stuff together, folks. So just be prepared for this. We're going to go this hour. We may go into the 12 o'clock hour. We're not quite sure. So we'll, we'll just kind of let it go and see what happens. So, Jim, how did Mackie Mitchell get to be uh, involved in this project? Yes, thank you. Uh, first of all, a little bit more introduction. Uh, Mackie Mitchell Architects, um, downtown St. Louis. So our firm is in an office just to the west of Bush Stadium. And it's a very good location for this project because we're just a few blocks away from the site. And Eric and I have been there many times, just, you know, had a free uh, noon hour and we're able to walk over and watch the, the progress. So to answer your question, a few years ago, our founder, Gene Mackey III, who has since passed away, received a call from one of our local citizens who was a veteran was at the building and called Gene and said, you know, Gene, this is just a great place, but it really needs some help. Are you interested in taking a look at it with us? So, of course, Gene said yes. And when Gene brought it up in our, in our office, I raised my hand and said, hey, can I, can I be involved too? So over the past few years, we've gone through a number of steps to prepare for the renovation. Uh, first, we started with the general building assessment to see, you know, what's good about the building, what needs help. 
Uh, we had a number of consultants who helped us understand, you know, what we needed to do in terms of improving the exhibits and also accessibility, as you mentioned, to people with disabilities. So um, Karen and I can give you a little bit more specific information about that as our interview goes on. But that, in a nutshell, is how we became involved. And then it's just been an honor, at least in my career, it's certainly been a high point in over 40 years of being an architect. Now, I know that when you approach this project, you, you do an assessment of the current needs and what, what's good, what's, what's not so good. It's, it's a beautiful and a, a really solid, as it appears, Art Deco building. You know, it's, it's built very solidly. Um, and I, I guess limestone? Limestone and granite. Okay. And, but inside, there's, there's some things that have kind of deteriorated, but you have, there's mosaics in there. There's um, brass doors. There's just unbelievable kinds of um, sculptures on the outside, stone sculptures. And elaborate on a little bit more of those kinds of features and then how you approach um, an official quote-unquote renovation. Sure. We should give credit to the city of St. Louis, who is the owner of Soldiers Memorial, uh, with the resources that, that they have had, they've actually kept the building in, you know, good shape. So when we first started our assessment, the first thing we looked at was the, the general building condition. You know, there was some rain getting in, so we identified that as a, an issue. The building was so well designed and built. You know, the, the architects back in the 1930s did a wonderful job. It is very, as you said, very sturdily built, and over the years that's really helped keep it in a good condition. The uh, other need that we saw right away was the building lacked uh, an efficient and functional heating, ventilating, and air conditioning system. So in the wintertime, the steam heat overheated the space. In the summertime, the building has never had air conditioning, so they would open the windows for ventilation, but then 90 degrees outside became 90 degrees inside. The other thing we've, we saw was a lack of fire protection system. The building was never sprinklered. And as you mentioned, not accessible to people with disabilities. So those were just very basic things that we had identified that needed to be improved upon. Then beyond that, uh, we also worked with a local contractor to help us understand what fixes to those conditions may be, which allowed us to identify some preliminary budgets. So, you know, as I look back on some information here, unique metalwork of the windows and doorways were cleaned and preserved. Decorative plaster work on the ceilings been restored. And, and plaster work is very, very, to find a good plasterer, I know one, I live near one, and uh, but to find that kind of plaster work, Art Deco light fixtures, listen to this folks, mahogany lined elevator. That's just crazy. I've never seen it. I w I'm anxious to see it. It is a beautiful building, and as you mentioned, it's it's a hidden gem in our in our city. Um, I can't remember who said this, but it's been described as part of the string of pearls on the Gateway Master Plan Mall, hmm. from all the way from the Jefferson National Memorial, which is of course the arch, to Luther Ely Smith Park, to the courthouse, to Keener Plaza, to City Garden, and the the um, courthouse, and then on to um, Memorial Plaza, which is the seven city blocks of parks around Soldiers Memorial. So we're very excited about being a part of that um, ma master plan for the Gateway Mall um, improvements. Um, it is a classically inspired building with Art Deco flourishes. As you mentioned, it has Art Deco themed 
uh, grills on the windows, which were carefully preserved. In addition, um, if you were to look at a typical classical building with massive limestone piers, you wouldn't see the type of Art Deco fluting that was included in this particular building. So it, as you mentioned, it's a very um, Art Deco feeling. Um, then on the inside, and by the way, a lot of people I talked to during design said, oh yeah, I've driven past Soldiers Memorial. Can you actually go in there? <laughs> so it's, it's unique in that it is both a memorial and a museum, but a lot of people just weren't aware that you could actually go in there. And as you mentioned, in the interior, there's a lot of beautiful marble, terrazzo, plaster work, uh, very skillfully painted plaster friezes in the ceilings, woodwork, and it was just very well executed by the original architects and contractors back in the 1930s. So, Karen, how does the Missouri History Museum get involved with this particular project? You know, I, I, I kind of know you guys have such a great track record of, of the history in our community, in our city, in our state. And actually, actually folks, I'll give kudos to them uh, maybe in the second half of the hour here uh, and read to you how important the Missouri History Museum is to our, our country. So, Karen, how does the Missouri History Museum get involved in this project? We were first contacted about 2013 um, about whether or not we'd be interested in um, exploring the operation and management of the Soldiers Memorial. Um, as Jim mentioned, it's a city-owned building. And with all of the um, responsibilities that the city of St. Louis has, the they they didn't really have the funding to manage the soldiers memorial the way that it should should be managed so they were looking for a partner and um we started looking at it and we actually spent about a year and a half with due diligence taking a look about what would be involved with operating it the sort of renovations that would be needed, and um, whether it was something that made sense, you know, for the Missouri Historical Society to become involved with. And one of the first things that we realized, because the city, while they had excellent staff working at the building, only had two individuals trying to manage the entire Soldiers Memorial wow. building, keeping it open, um, and that's just about all that two people can do and so we started looking at the collections and at the building and realizing that no matter who ended up operating um, Soldiers Memorial that an extensive inventory of the collections was needed um, rehousing of the collections as Jim had mentioned there was no um, working HVAC really in the building. There was heat, but it couldn't be controlled. And that is not good for artifacts. And so we entered into discussions with the city and offered to manage a project where we would bring in um, professional staff to inventory the Soldiers Memorial Collections and rehouse it. And this is an example of an absolutely incredible public-private partnership because the city agreed to provide us with 
space, raw space in a city-owned building, that if we would renovate it, that we could have it for the long term for the storage of the and the processing of the soldiers' memorial collections. And so that project actually started in the summer of 2014. And, you know, we started working to uh, establish intellectual control. For the, the first time, everything was going to be counted and photographed and measured and um, carefully placed in um, storage where it, it could be protected. The um, then, as that went forward, we continued with our due diligence and looking into what was needed with the building, meeting with people like uh, Jim and Jean, talking with um, other downtown cultural organizations, and a you know St. Louis is really fortunate to have incredibly philanthropic individuals that support the activities of this region. And we entered in discussions and it was determined that if we were willing to take over the management and operations that um, private individuals in, in St. Louis who chose to be anonymous because they wanted it to be about soldiers rather than about them, um, that they would fund the the renovation of the the building under um, our our management. So all sorts of things had to fall into place. So folks need to understand that this is all privately funded. All privately funded. And that's you have to have a real heart for, like you said, uh, giving or benevolence or uh, philanthropic work. And St. Louis is is. I think well known for that mm -hmm. uh, to do that and especially to preserve some of these kinds of uh, artifacts and to tell a history uh, uh, in a memorial situation for uh, those those individuals who have served our country and I, I did say I was going to mention this uh, at, at the next half hour but I'm, it's worth saying right now that the Missouri uh, Historical Society serves as the confluence of historical perspectives and contemporary issues collecting for more than 150 years the Missouri Historical Society Regional History Institution it is one, houses one of the largest collections of artifacts and historical materials of any regional history institution in the United States. That's crazy incredible. And, and they're right here in our backyard. And here we're going to have another memorial museum that will just be another shining star for people to come to St. Louis and people for in St. Louis to really brag about their town. Exactly. Because we, we should brag about our town. Now, when you guys met to talk about the uh, integration of the physical plant of the facility and all the aspects that go along with that, and the uh, what I would guess is the, the artifact, the museum portion, how do, what, what are those meetings like? How does that mesh together? You're like, well, we need this and we need this, and no, we can't do that, we can't do that. I know there's give and take, but obviously the HVAC was a huge deal and controlling that, and, and the accessibility was a huge deal. But other than that, and I know you wanted the, the building to look nice because if you have a nice collection, you want it to look nice, you want to present something. What were those meetings like? On the, on the architecture side, that is an interesting question. 
On the architecture side, we were preserving the building and shaping what would be the galleries for the collection, for the exhibitions. But what we didn't know was, well, what's, what's going to be in there? And you know, what, what are the needs to support those, whether it's lighting or power or data? So we couldn't wait until Karen's team came in with their preliminary designs because we were doing this simultaneously and we had a contractor on board and they wanted to build something. So we, we were kind of probably impatient to get that information. So we had to kind of settle down and kind of wait until we could get that information. So it was a really an interesting um, process. And it's been so fun as even as the building is under construction to see uh, the Missouri Historical Society's ex exhibition consultant continue with their work and actually fill it in, and on, and their own staff, of course, to help tell the story of these soldiers that are really the purpose of having this facility in the first place. So, Karen, on your end, do you you? Agree, I'm not going to say. Do you agree with Jim, <laughs> <laughs> or do you disagree with Jim? <laughs> I I think we had an excellent team, and it's an interesting situation because. Even though the city of St. Louis owns the the building and the collections, the uh, Board of Aldermen passed an ordinance uh, that allowed the city to enter into an operating agreement for the Historical Society to be responsible for not only the, the renovation and revitalization, but the long-term operation. And so um, basically we were the client for the, the renovation and uh, revitalization. And so we were able to bring to the table the, the knowledge of what's needed, you know, for a um, modern museum facility because the original design was actually done in the 1920s, even wow. though it wasn't built until the 1930s. And visitor service amenities back then were very different than what they are today. Well, folks, you're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM. This is In Tune with Arnold Stricker and Ellie Wharton. We've been talking about the Missouri uh, uh, History Museum role with Mackie Mitchell Architects on the Soldiers Memorial renovation that has been going on for the last two years, a $30 million renovation. Uh, state-of-the-art facility. If you have some questions you'd like to text in, please call our text line 314-736-4510, 314-736-4510 if you have some questions. So we're going to get in the second half of our hour, we're going to talk a little bit more specifics on the details of uh, and I'm sure we're going to bring Eric in the discussion because he's probably the one that's been moving the mouse around on the on the CAD drawings and making sure all that stuff's done. And I, I would be kind of curious if the original plans were there and how that aided you guys in, in that particular development. So this is Arnold Stricker of Intune. You're listening to KWRH LP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker. We have some folks from the Missouri History Museum and also from Mackie Mitchell Architects here talking about the exciting things that are happening at the Soldiers Memorial Military Museum, which will be reopening November 3rd after being closed for two years on a $30 million renovation. Karen Gehring uh, from the Missouri History Museum, Jim Conrad and Eric Biggs from Mackie Mitchell Art Architects are here. And this is an innovative public-private partnership 
through the Missouri Historical Society, and they're leading a multi-million dollar revitalization of the Soldiers Memorial Military Museum and Court of Honor. And the Court of Honor we're going to talk about, that's a whole other separate deal, folks. We talked about that off, off air. But that's another discussion, and that's a great place also. It's right off the history, uh, the uh, uh, Soldiers Memorial area. So it's going to reopen November 3rd and will feature greatly expanded exhibitions and meet the highest museum standards be fully accessible fully accessible fully accessible to visitors so if you have a physical a visual now i'm not sure about an auditory yes an auditory mm-hmm. disability you are taken care of and that's that's tremendous and i look at this picture of the before and after of how all of the coal um smoke and exhaust that's been cleaned off this building it it looks great so we were talking before break about uh, what it was going to be like to now uh, grab some old plans that were designed, as Karen was telling us, uh, in the 20s, and the building wasn't built till 38. Is that right? Completed in 38, started in 36. Started in 36 and completed in 38. And now, uh, Eric, did you get a chance to see those? And they were probably really real blueprints. They, they actually were, yeah. And, and then you convert it to CAD. Did you do that? Or how did you go about then with your skill set? Uh, yeah. No, we referenced those drawings, uh, which we're very lucky to have um, in the actual original layout of the building. Um, it's kind of funny that it was 20 sheets. Uh, and in reference for what we use today was over 200. Um, it's just amazing what they could get done back then with, with such little information. Um, but yeah, no, we had the original blueprints that we used, um, which were just immaculate. Now, the original architect, did they detail, obviously 20 pages, you know, they're not going to detail it like, like is done today because of code changes and other kinds of regulations that have changed. But, um, when, when they go to do something like that, uh, and I know you guys, uh, it's, I don't know, it's like a big scanner or big Xerox machine (laughs) where you put it then into your CAD. What kind of things surprised you uh, looking at those old plans other than like, well, these really aren't detailed or maybe? Oh, no, they were. Uh, what surprised me is how often I could go back and reference them. Really? Because, uh, I mean, uh, wall cavities, things that we really needed to get into to get um, the uh, the mechanical systems up to date uh, were things that we couldn't see. They were all hidden conditions. There were things behind the granite wall in, in the plaster. Um, so we really needed to rely on these drawings to kind of get an idea of the space and the cavities that we could actually use for um, air return and air flow. Uh, so, uh, and, and that's just one example of, of the times that I've needed to go back and reference those original drawings. So were they as built or were they just like the original set without any kind of modifications that were done when it was built? They were the original drawings, <laughs> yeah. So you, you maybe found some... Uh, uh, oh, geez, that wasn't exactly what was on the plans. Very minor, very minor. Um, a, an example of things that, that had not been flushed out yet that weren't on the drawings would have been the four allegorical statues that are in front of the building. Okay. Uh, they were kind of more, I think they had just drawn horses as opposed to... Um, and doughboys. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so uh, th- things like that. But really, I'd have to say... Uh, I found very little difference between what was actually in the drawings and what was in front of us. Now, I'm kind of curious because of the mosaic ceiling mm. that did they have a plan for that or did they just say uh, a mosaic ceiling with this kind of look and then it's left to the uh, the artisan sure. to yeah. 
put that up there. They had a sketch um, of the of the ceiling, and the way because it's twenty pages, they actually did it where uh, a floor plan was was cut in half. And you'd see half a reflected ceiling plan. And, and I'm sorry if I'm getting too technical. No, no, okay, no. Okay. Uh, but you'd see half a reflected ceiling plan and then half a floor plan. So you could actually see half of the sketch of the um, of the mosaic, which is above the loggia, uh, which is really where you, you first enter the building. So before you actually step into the, the building itself, you're kind of in this open area called a loggia. And you look up and you see the Gold Star Mother's mosaic. And that was actually hand sketched in the in the drawings. Now, as you go in, there's this. Uh, what's that big thing called as a as a monument to the cenotaph? Those, say mm-hmm. that again. The cenotaph. Cenotaph, and it's it represents. Uh, it's a it's a tomb like structure. Okay. Um, and the uh, soldiers' memorial was originally built as a memorial to all those that gave the ultimate sacrifice in World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have all of the names of those who lost their lives. And uh, from the greater St. Louis area, um, on inscribed onto the uh, the black marble of of the cenotaph. Okay, and below in the basement, which you know, people like myself, when uh, my wife and I went to visit, we couldn't get down there because it was off limits. Yeah, and who knows what it was like? If it was like the basement of most old buildings, it was probably <laughs> wet and damp and moldy and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. But now it's being it's uh, designed to hold special events or uh, kind of situations that are going on down there? Yeah, part of the renovation was actually to increase the amount of exhibit space in the building. Uh, there are always the two main galleries on the, the first level. Um, and what the basement was before was a storage, and it had some miscellaneous uses, um, but nothing that... And emergency management. Emergency, yeah, exactly. One of those miscellaneous uses, emergency management. Um, and... Uh, so really, we wanted to change the program of, of what that really was. Um, we uh, basically removed all of the interior walls of the basement and really opened it up, uh, which allows for what I believe is the, the temporary, um, I'm doing air quotes right now, exhibits um, for, uh, for the, the building. Um, and I, I say temporary because I believe the first one's for two years. Two to three. Two mm-hmm. to three. And that temporary exhibit's going to be what, Karen? Um, St. Louis and the Great War. And so it's going to be an in-depth look at uh, St. Louis and World War One, both on the home front, the mobilization, um, and the where St. Louis served overseas, and then also looking at the legacies of World War One in the St. Louis area. By um, completely gutting the lower level, and um, we even excavated <laughs> further down oh, so wow. that the, the ceiling heights would be appropriate uh, for exhibition space. We were able to add a 4,300 square foot exhibition gallery, which will allow us to really get into you know, the topics. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Now, is there a second floor? Like, is there an elevator up? Uh, there, there is. And what, what's up there? Uh, that actually, uh, there is an existing assembly room, uh, which is beautiful. Um, the, the same wood mahogany that lined the elevator uh, lines this, this room that's on the um, west side of the building. Um, and I will add, uh, the, part of the things that we had, had done in the renovation is um, we wanted to make it a little bit more open and uh, more of a flexible space. So there were um, fixed seating 
in there uh, that um, that was removed. And, and part of the reason in doing that, other than the uh, opportunity for more flexibility in the room, was uh, the condition of the seats. They, they just, um, over time, over you know, 80 some odd years, they, they needed to go. So with a, with a ventilation and heating system that really didn't work. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, but then, uh, the other, uh, program that we have on the second floor are meeting rooms. Um, and that's actually kind of holding to the original design of the building. Uh, so the program itself hadn't actually changed for the second floor. One of the things that we did do, I know accessibility has been brought up, and the original building um, had no way for anyone that wouldn't be able to get up this up. Um, let me back up. Uh, there are two levels to the second floor. Uh, the assembly room is actually uh, about four feet lower than the rest of the the second floor, with a set of stairs that goes up to it, and. Uh, you know, you're, you kind of walk above the loggia and the, the mosaic I was just talking about, but um, there was no way for anyone in the assembly room who couldn't take the stairs to get up into where the restrooms were actually located. Mm. Um, so it was a, a huge, um, it, just a detriment to anyone that, um, uh, the issues of accessibility, it was, it was a big issue, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so one of the things that we did is we had uh, we had a, a very nice lift installed uh, for the stairs themselves, but we also added a second elevator that runs from the east gallery all the way from the, the basement into this higher level. So there are actually two means of accessible um, accessibility uh, to get to that that second level. Okay. Yeah, the elevator wasn't working when I was there. Either. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was like on on its last legs or something like that. <laughs> So the, the, a ramp for accessibility from the outside was built on the east end? Correct. Of the, of the, That's correct, yeah. And is that the east end that would come in on the south? Does it kind of ramp up to the south end? That's correct, yeah. Okay. It's it's very open to uh, the court of honor and, and everything that's happening to the south of the building. So it's um, it's a very visible way for people to, to enter the building. Um, it connects from Chestnut to what is a, a podium area before you actually take the second set of stairs into the uh, the first level of the Soldier's Memorial. And there's a ramp for both. Okay. Now, Karen, how do you decide uh, what is going to be on display? Because I know there is a boatload of artifacts. And going through, and, and sometimes you, you want something that looks good, but something has historical value, mm -hmm. and something may have um, some sentimental value. And this is all St. Louis oriented. Yes. It's not like, you know, we're getting things from Pasadena, California, or uh, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, or something like that. I just threw those names out just out of, <laughs> out of the top of my head. But it's all St. Louis oriented. How do you decide what artifacts are on display and which ones then you would rotate? Sure. The um, we have a team you know, that works works on that. Most of them are on the staff at the Historical Society. Um, some of them are actually working full-time now at, at Soldiers. And the we've been working over the course of the last three years on the interpretation. And you, you mentioned that this is a St. Louis story. And that is one of the guiding principles. We want to look at service military service but through a st louis lens and so when when you go to the world war ii memorial in new orleans or to the world war one national museum in kansas city you're looking at you know 
the whole story uh, from the uh, United States point of view. This is looking at St. Louisans serving their country with that St. Louis um, point of view. And so we have looked at the artifacts that were available, but we've also looked at the stories. And sometimes we've gone out and um, solicited artifacts, searched out descendants to try to collect um, the artifacts to support the stories about um, St. Louis. And we're going all the way from the Revolutionary War battle that was fought wow. here in St. Louis to the, the present time in the St. Louis in service galleries. Wow, and that kind of segues to this court of honor mm. that um, there's going to be artifacts that are s celebrating really St. Louisans or St. Louis history throughout how the war has impacted St. Louisans. But the court of honor is, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, south, uh, in That's between correct. what um, the memorial and city hall and it's it's kind of like a green space and there's a reflecting pool talk talk about that because there's separate monuments that are set up or uh or memorials set up for vietnam and korea and world war ii maybe mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure so help me out with that sure uh i'd like to start just by kind of giving uh our firm's personal connection with the court of honor which is uh one of the founding principles, Gene Mackey, his father was the uh, the designer of the Court of Honor. Wow. So it was, uh, it was very special to have Gene's input on on what we were going to do uh, for the design. And it was, uh, from my understanding, Gene's father's original uh, design intent to have a reflecting pool um, in the Court of Honor. And so we were almost able to kind of fulfill uh, the original design with this with this project, which is extra special, um, and and so um, yeah, it, you know, Gene's input was uh, invaluable, and it was this whole thing kind of became like a, a passion project for him uh, prior to his passing. I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, you go down there and there's you know St. Louis Barbecue Fest or something or some concert that's on the steps or taking that whole area. I never knew about that whole Court of Honor area, to be honest with you. I think that's uh, completely fair. Um, and to tell you the truth, I don't think I did either. Um, uh, and so I, uh, I think one of the things that we really wanted to try to take uh, control of with this project was having that connection between the Soldiers Memorial Building and the Court of Honor. And we did that with the introduction of a memorial lawn, a memorial lawn um, and uh, then the uh, kind of memorial walkways um, with the program of uh, having uh, individual memorial walls uh, with the same uh, same intent. Um, let, me, let me back up. Uh, the Court of Honor is actually in the same way that the Soldiers Memorial Building uh, a memorial for those in World War II that, that made the ultimate sacrifice. And along the edge uh, of the, the area, there are inscribed uh, the names of those who, who lost their lives. Um, so with the, these memorial walkways and these memorial um, walls that, that have been kind of uh, designed for this project, uh, we're taking into account uh, Vietnam and Korea um, as well as uh, future conflicts. Now, is that Chestnut Street there that goes, that was uh, narrowed because mm -hmm. of trying to maintain a flavor and a feel and uh, to kind of keep this as a, 
I don't want to call it a, a, a sacred ground, but a more an, an area that was honored more and respected more. And so there's not going to be any concerts there or barbecue things or going on in the future, right? That's correct. Part of the um, ordinance that um, gave the management of those two city blocks to the historical society gives us uh, the authority to determine that. And the things that occur between Market and Pine and 13th and 14th in the future are going to be mission-related. Um, they're going to honor veterans. They're going to uh, be educational in, in nature or, um, in, in some cases, ceremonial to uh, honor service. You know, I'm, I'm really pleased that the city, realizing they can't keep this up, uh, and the the whole thing's deteriorating to a point before it goes to a point where it has to be torn down mm-hmm. uh, or closed that they decided to really look and reach out to team up with the historical society in a joint project to do this. Is that something that has previously been done or has that been something that's been done to your knowledge in other cities like that or is this kind of a first? Um, it's been done other places as well, but it's it's worked very, very well here. And the, the city remains very interested and very supportive of what we're doing. The There is still a Soldiers Memorial Commission that um, is appointed by the mayor and other elected officials that help um, advise us on uh, various activities. And it's it's working out to be just, a, as I said earlier, a really great public-private partnership. You know, that's nice to hear because many times you hear of groups getting together and everybody wants to protect their turf or their unique little projects or, you know, that's, that's my family's artifacts. Why aren't those on display or things like that? Mm-hmm. And you have to give some things up for the greater good to acknowledge, hey, there's a bigger vision for this, and there's uh, something that can come out of this that's going to be much, much better. Um, And I know the city retains ownership Mm -hmm. uh, of the facility, uh, yet you all have really the management, what I would call the management responsibilities, and the authority to, because of the the passage of uh, from what the board of aldermen did that that's that's very very interesting coming back to the building energy efficiencies you know mm-hmm. n- no great architect would uh, allow a facility like this to go by without trying to uh, implement some kind of energy efficiencies what uh, what kind of efficiencies are those well um for the uh, an overall view we actually are going for a lead certification uh, and lead stands for leadership in environmental i'm sorry leadership in energy and environmental design um, and in doing that, uh, part of what that involves is uh, a more efficient uh, HVAC system, which we had talked about. Uh, all of the light fixtures had been refurbished with LEDs, um, and we're um, uh, and in doing that, uh, you know, obviously reducing the energy consumption of the building. Um, all of the uh, plumbing fixtures are low flow. Um, and, and really kind of just going down the checklist of what it means to, uh, to be a LEED certified building. Um, uh, some other uh, innovations or things that we were able to incorporate that uh, usually take up more energy and uh, we were able to, to do it is actually keeping most of the uh, interior finishes. Um, or if we're not doing that using uh, easily renewable uh, finishes. We, we have cork floor um, 
throughout the the second floor, which mm-hmm. does qualify for that. Um, and uh, it, it's really kind of been a um, an amazing thing to to be able to incorporate this new way of thinking into such an old building. Now, uh, th- this may be something you you can or cannot do, but are like the original facade looks of the plans going to be? Um, printed out so you can buy some kind of copy of the what it looked like or is there I think this would be a great book uh, on how this whole process has come together because it really is a model I think for many other uh, public institutions and, and cities that are faced with many things that they own that are deteriorating they don't have the funding then to support that and in partnering up with a private entity that especially uh, like the one we have in, in our city can, can do the things that they do. But is that something that has been talked about, uh, a book, or maybe the, the, the facade pictures of the old blueprints that are printed out so when you go through, oh, yeah, I'll take one of those and give me that in 11 by 14 or something like that? I'd buy one. You know, I, the, the blueprints <laughs> are amazing. Off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to give any secret uh, histories out on, on where, to, where to get in the building or what's located where. But is that something you guys are thinking about? Or? The, it's actually something we've been, been discussing. It's, it's not currently underway, but the, um, the, the building is such an architectural treasure. And just the examples of where things changed from the original design, as Eric mentioned earlier, the original architectural drawings showed a very Art Deco winged horse mm-hmm. with a doughboy that was just repeated four times. Oh, wow. And when the award was originally made for the, the sculptural work for Soldiers Memorial, they um, hired an individual that they later had to fire because he didn't do anything. But the great thing about that was when they put it out the second time, they hired Walker Hancock. A local St. Louisan. And, and folks, you'll have to stay tuned to the second hour to hear about Walker Hancock, a, a St. Louisan, and the things that he's done. But those uh, sculptures that you see on the outside, they are magnificent. And this is not some uh, minor league sculptor. This is, this is like the, the deal here. This guy was the deal. He's incredible. He yep. is very incredible. You also need to stay tuned for our, we're going to continue this. And, I, and I've, I've begged them to stay off the air. I said, you know, there's so much material here. I don't want to limit it. And I, I want to give it justice. But the grand opening, reopening ceremony that's going to take place on November 3rd is going to feature as, as the uh, keynote speaker, a, another St. Louis native, a graduate graduate of Bishop de Berg, and it's Brigadier General Jeannie Lavette, and she's going to be speaking, and we're going to talk about her and how you all came about getting her to speak and her significance uh, in uh, her role as the United States Air Force's first female fighter pilot and the first woman to command a United States Air Force combat fighter wing. So that's that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. You guys are doing some unbelievable work, and it's great to see this partnership on how that works. If we had somebody from the Board of Aldermen, I'd be giving them some kudos also. <laughs> uh, and it's great to see the interaction of that working together. So you're listening to uh, In Tune with Arnold Stricker and Ellie Wharton on KWRHLP 92.9 FM. We've been talking to our folks from the Missouri Historical Society, uh, Karen Gehring, and from Mackie Mitchell Architects. That's 
Jim Conrad, and you've been listening to Eric Biggs most recently on, on, the, on the voices here. So this is a discussion about the reopening of the Soldiers Memorial Military Museum and what's been going on on that architecturally and, and on the interior as it relates to artifacts and the history portion of that. There's some great, I have a bookmark in front of me that I, I got at a recent activity uh, that the uh, Missouri Historical Society had a booth set up and hauled this down. It was, it's great, it's my little souvenir that I, that I took home. So uh, this is Arnold Stricker Vintune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Please stay tuned to our second hour. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker on KWRH LP 92.9. We're taking you back to 1938 when the Soldiers Memorial Building was opened up in St. Louis City. And we're taking you now forward to a time when we're going to have a rededication of that and a grand reopening ceremony of that facility. We're talking to Project Manager Jim Conrad from Mackie Mitchell Architects and also Karen Gearing from the Missouri Historical Society. I always kind of refer to you guys as Missouri History Museum. That's fine. <laughs> and Eric Biggs, also from the Mackie Mitchell Architects. So the opening ceremony, it kicks off a week-long series of Veterans Day events. So let's first of all talk about what's the significance of November 3rd in having the grand reopening? Just for some people who don't know. The, well, actually, uh, we wanted to open a week before uh, Veterans Day. Um, and so the November 3rd date was, was chosen so that we could lead up to the 100th anniversary of the armistice, which, um, of course, will be November 11th. And so we're starting um, at 9 o'clock in the morning on November 3rd. People are invited to come downtown. Um, the, there will be a military band uh, performing at 9 a.m. while people are gathering. And the ceremony itself will begin at 10 to formally rededicate um, the Soldiers Memorial and the Court of Honor. We're really honored that Brigadier General Jeannie Levitt has accepted our invitation to be the keynote speaker. And, you know, she was one of our top choices, and we were just thrilled that she was willing to come. She grew up in St. Louis. She went to high school here at Bishop de Bourg, and later set up all sorts of, of records. She's the first woman uh, fighter pilot. She was the first woman to command a fighter squadron. And um, the... Fun fact, she's currently um, has been helping Brie Larson uh, with her um, uh, training uh, for a popular movie that's coming out in the spring. March 8th of 2019. Okay, very good. <laughs> but um, the this is someone who has received just an incredible amount of honors and we're just so proud that she's a native St. Louisan and that she's coming back to rededicate Soldiers Memorial. Yeah, that, that will be, uh, listening to her, she, um, and just so you understand what a command pilot does, they, 
with more than 3,000 hours. That's how much experience she has, more than 3,000 hours. Her experiences have included operations in Southern Watch, Northern Watch, Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom, and she's currently the commander of the Air Force Recruiting Service of the Joint Base at San Antonio Randolph, Texas. And this reopening ceremony, as Karen was saying, on the 3rd, beginning at 9 o'clock with the band playing, it follows with the opening ceremony at 10 and uh, opening then to the public at 11. And the first 5,000 visitors that Saturday will receive a commemorative pin. So all of those collective commemorative pin people out there, you need to be one of the first 5,000 people. Uh, The U.S. Postal Service is getting into the show, too. They're going to conduct a stamp cancellation commemorating the grand reopening from 11 to 1. There will be some food trucks available from 8 to 2 there. And it's it's a week-long series of events that also include a you know a flag raising and lowering ceremonies. Um, there's visitors can walk through the court of honor. Uh, at that time, there is uh, a full history that uh, of the Brigadier General uh, Jeannie uh, Levette's biography is going to be available. So really, really big deal. Now, are you, are you guys from Mackey Mitchell going to be speaking and representing? Uh, you know, putting a little couple two words there also. Well, we'll certainly be in attendance. And what, what I was thinking about while you were talking is, during design, the Missouri Historical Society has provided a lot of really interesting and impressive photographs of the building through its history. And it's so impressive to see the number of people who would attend events, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So I'm hoping at our November the 3rd grand reopening, we have an equally large crowd in attendance at that ceremony to support this grand reopening. So when you're, you're saying that, Jim, you're saying that there were tens of thousands of people there? I don't know how many people were there, but there was just streets filled with people. It's just very impressive. Okay, folks, we need to fill the streets down there, not like it's a barbecue event or because you're not going to get any food other than the food trucks down there, or not like it's a concert, but you need to show up like that. But it's not a concert and it's not a barbecue event, but it's, it's an event to uh, really re-honor um, the memories and the sacrifice that uh, St. Louisans have made in all wars that are being honored at the Soldiers' Memorial. Uh, what are some <clears throat> some closing thoughts that you all have as you've gone through this process? Excuse me, sometimes it, it will change some thinking, sometimes it will reinforce some thinking, or sometimes it will, they'll be like an aha or, gee, I didn't know that about this thing, and that was like your biggest aha moment. What are some of those things that each of you have experienced in in this process that's gone on really since like 2014? The, I think, you know, it was mentioned earlier that this is one of those hidden treasures that most St. Louisans are not aware of. And I think when people come uh, November 3rd and thereafter, I think they're going to be blown away by Soldiers Memorial. It is so incredible. Uh, From the Gold Star Mothers mosaic on the um, ceiling of the loggia to the Walker Hancock um, monumental, you know, limestone sculptures um, to the learning about St. Louisans that really impacted um, the entire country. People talk about O'Hare Airport, and they don't realize that it's named after Edward Butch O'Hare, a St. Louisan, 
that was one of the most decorated um, fighter pilots during World War II. And uh, his story will be told at Soldier's Memorial. Wendell Pruitt, one of the highly decorated Tuskegee Airmen, was a St. Louis uh, individual. The, there are so many stories that people can learn from. And I think that um, this is going to be an opportunity for people who are interested in St. Louis history to honor those that have come before them, but even people who maybe would have never thought about visiting the Soldiers Memorial. I think this is going to be a place where they will visit and they'll want to bring other people because it will not just be the exhibits. There will also be programs. Uh, the first week we're open, we're having um, a play, uh, All is Calm, about the 1914 um, um, Christmas um, armistice where the soldiers just said we're not going to fight it's Christmas Day and it's going to give people you know just an opportunity to view all of this in a new and very personal way you know that last statement you just made a new and personal way because everybody sees things differently and are impacted and affected mm -hmm. by things differently and have they bring their experiences to these things some people mm -hmm who have fought may be emotional. Mm -hmm. Some people who maybe had a loved one who died mm -hmm. maybe have a, a different kind of uh, emotional investment when they see a name that's mm -hmm. their name related to them. And some people who don't know, it, it should impact them some way Yes. As, as to what's going on. Jim, how about you? What I was thinking about is over the past couple of years working with the contractors who were doing all of the construction for the renovation, just watching how they approach their work. You know, the, the guys who lay drain tile under the floor slab, you know, just, just hundreds of people who were involved and really seeing them take ownership of the project mm -hmm. more than a, other projects that they worked on. This was, I think, to a lot of people special. So I think... Um, it's really been interesting and, and gratifying to see how they have invested some emotion into the project. Okay. And just um, walking through the construction site with various people, for example, I didn't know until one of our architects was walking through with us that said, oh, my grandfather's name is over on that wall wow. in the Court of Honor. And walking to the building with one of our consulting engineers past the merchant marine anchor saying, oh yeah, my grandfather was a merchant marine. Just all these connections like Karen mentioned that don't come out until people interact and, and visit the memorial and are able to tell those stories. Maybe things they've forgotten. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting, you know, because construction of buildings and things like that, you know, we're putting this up okay, we're moving on to the next project, but when you know what it's about, the, the history of what has been there and what it will be, and, and you want it to be, you, you know, you can go there and say, I helped build this, or my dad helped build this, or my mom helped build this, or my grandparents helped build this, in some way, gives some kind of pride, and, and I, can, I can really understand that, that mm -hmm. it's, it's a project to be proud of. And we talked earlier about sustainability. 
there's nothing more sustainable about a building than one that'll last 100 years or right. 150 years. So right. what we're doing today is going to be serving people who haven't been born yet. That's correct. Eric, what about you? Well, I have to say, um, pardon me. No, you're good. Um, I think my biggest takeaway really comes within the building itself. Um, despite having been there, been visiting there for over two years, um, for reviewing the existing drawings, for doing the drawings, um, I still go in there and I see things that I didn't notice before. I mean, that still happens. Um, and if I'm still doing that, I, I couldn't really imagine the people that will be visiting the building. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much to really take in. Uh, I, I think it's, um, it's very special, and I think people are, are really going to enjoy it. Now, just, Karen, to review, uh, there is no charge. It's free. And there may be at some point on a special exhibit that there may be a charge fee or no? The... I suppose it's possible, but we're going to try to always keep it free. Okay, so as a typical St. Louis great museum city, and mm-hmm. you know we've got the zoo, we've got the Missouri History Museum, we've got all these the art museums that are free. Here's another one, folks, That's free. Correct. You don't you're not going to spend a dime except you know, maybe a couple couple coins in getting down there and parking, and you're going to have a, a great. Uh, museum and memorial that you can take a look at. Uh, I know Jim mentioned something about the interaction, and I had this question I forgot to ask it earlier. Many times exhibits uh, are just kind of a one-way deal. In other words, they just give you information or you're looking at, you know, a helmet or, you know, army boots or something like that. How interactive is this particular museum memorial going to be? There are a number of components that are interactive. And for example, I mentioned earlier that it starts with the Revolutionary War battle and then comes to the present time. In the section, for example, about the Civil War, uh, people will learn about the gunboats that were designed by James James Eads and built down in Carondelet. And uh, there will actually be an interactive where people can build a um, gunboat and learn about you know the components the there we we want this um, uh, museum and the exhibits to reach everyone and so there are touchables throughout um, the project we've done 3d scanning of the walker hancock sculptures and so there will be 14 inch tall um models that people can handle you know for people with low vision or who are blind Uh, we're using braille in a number of uh, areas and there will be an opportunity for example we have a kiosk where people can enter information they can enter a name and biographical information will come up for anyone who's on um, whose name is inscribed in the cenotaph or in the court of honor so that they can learn something wow. about that that individual and so there will be a number of opportunities for um, people to learn more and to um, actively engage in uh, interactive learning jim did you know about that last thing <laughs> i learned a little bit there but karen you also <laughs> might mention the oral history room 
the um, particularly in the um, exhibit of St. Louisans in service, uh, World War II to the present, we're using a lot of oral histories in the um, exhibition. So first person accounts told by the individuals that served. And um, we have created on the lower level a room that's just dedicated to oral history in, in the future where an mm. oral historian can sit down with someone and they can share the story and uh, we can record it so that it will be available in the individual's own words for future researchers. That's a very valuable thing, especially for our World War II veterans mm -hmm. who are um, declining in numbers daily. Yes, they are. And to know some of the stories that they uh, they have and the uh, some of the situations that they've been in, you mm -hmm. know, in the parade that we have in the summertime, it's the Battle of the Bulge group. Yes. And uh, they come through on their little half track. And it's great to see them. They always get a big standing ovation. Mm -hmm. But there's always fewer and fewer of them each July 4th on the parade. And their, their story, their personal investment uh, in what they did in, in serving our country will get lost if it's not recorded either in writing or in an audio form or mm -hmm. a video form for that matter one of the things i look forward to also is uh, whenever we finish a project it's always interesting to watch how our client moves in and takes ownership and starts furnishing it and making it their own and i'm looking forward to the memorial lawn area at the court of honor to see what kind of programming evolves how people experience it. As we mentioned, the Court of Honor is going to be a very reflective and meditative space. So um, that in a way is it's interactive as well because people will have a destination where they can just reflect on what they've seen and what people have done before us. It'll be a, a place where people can go, n not to eat their lunch, but to, I wanna get away from work for a little bit I don't know if you guys are close enough that you can just walk oh, over there definitely. And, and just kind of take a have a little chill time and relax a little bit from the hectic pace that goes on in many offices and kind of get your thoughts and everything together and go back and be a little bit more relaxed. Definitely. That's great. You know, I really appreciate um, all of you coming in today. This is a, a marvelous opportunity for our, our community and the greater St. Louis area. So folks, just as a reminder, on November the 3rd, the rededication, the re-grant opening ceremony for the Soldiers Memorial Military Museum will take place uh, beginning at uh, 9 o'clock where there's some music will be playing. At 10 o'clock, the ceremony will actually start with Brigadier General uh, Jeannie Levette as the keynote speaker, and then the uh, museum memorial will be open at 11 for the public. We need to turn out, folks. St. Louis needs to turn out for this, and let's have a picture taken that surpasses all the previous pictures that, uh, that uh, Jim was talking about that he saw, and so we can add that to the list, and people will go uh, in the future. They'll go back and say, man, in 2018, when they rededicated that place and reopened it, the St. Louis people showed up they really supported what was going on all those streets it would be great so we appreciate you coming in today and and being our guests and uh, uh, I thank you very much also for taking extra time and going over uh, into the second hour to talk about this it's it's been extremely beneficial and uh, really rewarding uh, and I hope our listeners feel the same way